Welcome, 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 everybody, back to another episode of the Modern Day Sniper Podcast. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, we've been busy, but we appreciate everyone's patience. And we are currently sitting in a hotel room in Grand Junction, Colorado, um, getting ready to, well, I'm getting ready to shoot the NRL Hunter Grand Slam as Kalen already just shot the RO match today. Yep, shot the RO match today. It was, uh, you know, a long day shooting um, all 20, uh, 20 stages of the event, but I kind of like it that way, actually. it's It keeps you in the zone. It keeps you focused. And um, I kind of dig it. So did you find did you find yourself in like a in a groove? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you get into a groove, and it's like okay, well, like all right, let's just go right to the next stage. Like I don't want to wait. I want to go shoot the next stage. Like let's just roll. So I would say that like being able to go as quickly as you could is beneficial. I, I would think so. That makes I, I sense. I think that's... That makes sense. Yeah. If I could go at the pace um, that I was most comfortable with, I, it obviously would be beneficial. Because you do. You get to stay in the zone and you get to like remain at that zero focus point and stay in your loop. Right? I think there's a lot to be said about that. Staying in your in, in, in a rhythm, staying in your focus. You know, that, and, and granted, there's definitely pros and cons to... Uh, shooting these matches, being able to talk to other competitors, being able to just hang out with the people that obviously you love to shoot with, but especially if you're at that that next edge of competition, I think getting into a um, getting into a zone is is definitely important, right? And every time you pull out of that zone, it could be detrimental detrimental to your performance for sure yeah. yeah and too much gap like too much gap in performance and too much gap um being distracted and you know it's different like we've always talked about it. it's like hey so are we going to this one to be competitive or are we going to this one to you know do um do the event and have fun and uh shoot it to the best of our ability because I do think there's a difference. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. It's a interesting way that we've. I'm like the whole thing. I'm thinking like, all right, this is a good way to start a podcast. <laughs> we didn't even do the introduction yeah. yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, so um, for guys that are tuning in for the first time, welcome to the Modern Day Cyber Podcast. If you're back, welcome back. Uh, we so for those that do not know who uh, we are, uh, my name is Philip Leo, one of the uh, co-founders of Modern Day Sniper. And I'm Kaylin Wojcik, one of the uh, other co-founders of Modern Day Sniper. And, uh, you know, we're former Marine Corps Scout snipers that are currently uh, long-range instructors, competitors, hunters uh, in the game. And uh, we are, a Modern Day Sniper podcast is for that relevant uh, shooter, or is for the shooter, practical shooter that is looking for relevant information in the game of long-range shooting. Uh, you know, one of the things that, especially over the last couple days and hours of us being out here, one of the th- things that people have noticeably said about our podcast that separates us from the other podcasts is our well-roundedness and topics that, that we cover that don't revolve around being just a 
precision yeah. rifle shooter. Yeah. Although we love to convey relevant information in terms of the the the, the game of long range, it's just much more more than that than us. Well, it's a total package, man. Yeah, yeah. It's a total package. You know, in order for you to be able to perform behind the rifle, we are complete. Uh, we dive into the mental aspects of how to really get your mind right so that when you connect to that rifle, you are truly finding your zero point, right? You're not worried about if the fucking bills get paid. You're not worried about if you've spent enough time with your family. You're not worried about, you know, you're just focused strictly on uh, uh, being able to... Um, uh, unlock that rifle's true capability and your capability as a shooter um, and, and just not worried about the other noise, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. So. You're, you're being 100% present in the moment. Yeah, present that, in the moment. That's uh, what I was looking for. There's no, there's, yeah, there's no forward thinking. There's no rearward thinking. It's just, hey, what's right in front of me right now? Yeah. I think that's the allure for a lot of people that participate in this uh, type of sport. And you get it from... I mean, there's many shooting sports that are uh, zero-point focus. I, I would say all shooting sports are zero-point focus sports because in order for you to, like, truly have a, that connection, uh, because it's like a visual connection. And I'm really uh, it, I'm interested in this stuff because, like, learning a little bit more about the psychology of how we process information visually um, is interesting to me. And we're gonna have a we're gonna have Owen on the podcast, and, and that's part of like what they did in the Combat Hunter program, which is fascinating. Yeah. From yep. from that standpoint, because it all stems, it all goes back to performance. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've been we've been away from the podcast because we've been focused on other things, meaning um, conducting training courses, traveling. Um, and just basically living life. Right? So, so I think, uh, not to put you on the spot here, but I, I think one of the things that completely resonates with a lot of people that listen to our podcast, especially at the feed that we got today, um, is talking about what we've been up to, our mental headspace as competitors and teachers in this space. And obviously, obviously keeping everyone that is listening to us up to date with what we got going on. Like for instance, the last couple last three days before this, this earlier this week, we had Stone Glacier out mm-hmm. freaking phenomenal group of guys. Uh, I'm really not only glad to be partnered with them in this industry in terms of, you know, um, just our brands aligning. Uh, but I, I was just super excited to have a group of guys that just, I think what I was able to see was like bits and pieces of what I miss about the Marine Corps. Yep, it's a tight group of guys. Right, tight yeah. group of guys that are that 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 share a common goal, mm-hmm. right? But are not afraid to kind of take little jabs at each other. Yeah, bust you know? each other's balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That and no one's getting butt hurt. Exactly. Right. It's it's more along the lines of um, friendly chiding and yeah. and you know. Yeah. Because you want each, you want your friend to do better, better and well. Right? Yeah, you want yeah. your, you want your friend to do well. Yeah. And so, um, I think it's just kind of, it's just human nature. It's also, you know, it's it's us as being males. That's how we, that's how we communicate with one another in in, other, in many ways, right? So, so 
it's a good thing. And man, that th- those guys are super tight. It's a it's a really tight group. I think um, what they say sixteen. I think they said they had sixteen people. Yeah. And so that's a small group, you know. And and honestly, that brand has exploded, and it's been super rad to watch. Yeah. I've carried their bags for like ten years. Um, shout out to my man Luke Carrick at Guide Ride Adventures. Um, Luke introduced me to these bags, and he said, "Man, I'm I found these things. What do you think?" And I was like, "Yeah, dude, I'm I'm all about checking out new bags. I'm like I'm I'm I have a problem with gear, right? I have too much of it, and so I'm always looking to see like what bags gonna fit better. And and so when I got the bag, I was like, "Man, this is super simple. It's light, and it's exactly what I needed to do." And I've been using the same bag for like the last decade. <laughs> I haven't even upgraded to like any of the new stuff that's offered because it's just the thing works. And um, these guys are just down to earth folks that love to hunt. Yeah. And it shows in everything that they do. It shows in their mindset. It shows like um, it's a it's a constant thing, right? Yeah. They're constantly in that loop. I feel like they're like very we're I feel like our brands are mirror images of each other in different parts of the industry agreed yeah because I mean like especially toward the very end there when we started obviously cracking a few beers you know we had talked to Lyle and you know he had asked us some questions and um, you know we asked him the very similar question and it's just again like understanding staying relevant understanding that like uh uh it's important that we stay true to who we are mm-hmm. uh, in our brand mm-hmm. and and man it's been it was it was just super awesome to to just get them because obviously you know i i uh was able to essentially uh kind of just jump on that relationship obviously because of the affiliation with you and, and stone glacier you know what i mean so it was my it was my first time to really get to know who they were, mm-hmm. even though you really know, obviously Kurt and, and Lyle and, and Jeff, yep. right? Like me for the first time, like getting to see who Soul Glacier really was. And again, I, I couldn't be happier with being partnered with a, a better group of guys. Yeah. They're, and their, their, their clothing is really, really well done. Yeah. Um, yeah. That once they branched out from bags and got into clothing, it was like, oh, okay, cool. What, what, you, what you got going on over there? And um, looking at the quality and the, and the workmanship and the, the, the materials that they use, it's like, it's next to, if not the best, right? Like, I've used Arcteryx for many years. Yeah. And Arcteryx, I would put Arcteryx literally at the pinnacle of... It's the gold standard of It's of the gold standard quality. Of, of quality... Um, outdoor equipment that is going to last and perform, yeah. right? So the Stone Glacier stuff, I, I, it, you can't tell the difference. Yeah. Is and it's more focused, and the the fitment I think is better. Uh, the fitment is better for more, um, I guess you would say, like American bodies because European bodies. That's what Arcteryx sizes their uh, their clothes for. Um, really really small dudes and really really small females and so it's nice to have clothing that's that's sized appropriately for you know an average size male 
you know, one of the things that I was looking at, especially, I thought I had a lot of packs, but I was looking at, like, your shelf of packs, uh, and it's like, you never, you should never ever trust someone that's giving advice on packs if they don't have a shelf of packs <laughs> like you, right? So, like, yeah, I, I have, like, a, I would say, like, mine's, like, probably, like, 30 to 40 percent your, your, but I do have a lot of packs just stacked up. Yeah, you try right? them so, uh, you know, Mystery Ranch, Everly Stock were the main two. Obviously, some 5.11 stuff from, like, my boot days that I never... And it, it, for me, it's, like, hard to get rid of, like, a pack. It's, like, I, there's, yeah, I guess there's I so much nostalgic. Yep. Like, like, oh, I've been through this with a pack. Even though it's a terrible pack compared to what I'm using now, it's still, like, it's just hard to, like... Yeah. Like, what if I want to gravitate back to that? But, no, you're right. Like, once I... My like my main pack that I was using for the longest time, especially for precision rifle competitions, was an Everly stock. You know, it has scabbard, but I didn't really use. I used a scabbard for something else for other gear. Um, but dry weight is pretty heavy, and and, and and ultimately, I didn't really like the way it fit on me, uh, especially if I had some load bearing stuff on it. Um, and uh, I just typically just used it because of the organization of how I was able to put my gear as a competitor in there, mm -hmm. and that was like why I used it, right? But then ever since I was introduced to the uh, Kiowa 3200 and the, and the um, uh, Avail, oh my God, night and day difference. Even, even when we did our backcountry hunt last year, um, it was dangerous because like I did it, again, compared to the packs that I'm used to in the Marine Corps, uh, it was like I didn't feel the weight. Because you know, you know when you have a pack on you, you're just like, especially yeah. after like, I don't know, about a mile in, you're like, you're like, ah, oh, you start to hurt in the shoulders, you know, mm -hmm. and it's just like, oh, I know I have fucking weight on my back right now. Yeah. With the Stone Glacier pack, again, not trying to hop up, like, the instant thing that I noticed is that even after five, six miles in, I forgot that I had a pack on me. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's also a testament to having it fit appropriately to you. Yeah. Um, that's something that we're going to go over in, in the Prep to Hunt series coming up. Um, here in the next couple of weeks, but you know, getting a pack that fits you well is is like super important. It's like fitting a rifle to you, exactly. Um, and it you can, you know, it's funny, man. I see pictures all the time on like social media where people are like in the woods and they're like, oh, I went in the woods and I'm carried a backpack, and then you look at how the the pag is and how the straps are on their shoulders, and you're just like, man, you're not carrying anything in that thing. Yeah. You're just there for a photo op. Yeah. Um, it's got to be fit to you correctly in order for um in order for you to take advantage of the the construction of the pack itself and how uh, the frame distributes weight um and ships weight from one part of your body to another because on long hikes and stuff it helps to be able to shift weight back and forth from um, all on your hips to all on your shoulders to all on your, you know you transfer the weight back and forth between stops especially if you're carrying really really heavy loads it helps, like, um, it helps, you know, give your body a little bit more endurance to get it done. So having a having a bag that works like that and, and knowing how to work it and, like, understanding, like, hey, if I tighten up my waistband and I loosen up my load lifters um, and then, you know, give my uh, shoulder straps just a little bit of, of freedom, all of that weight now is going to shift to my hips and I'm going to give my shoulders a break. Yeah. And then you just shift that back uh, the other way, and then you can because your weight, your your hips are going to start to hurt. Yeah. So, and like not having a pack too low, so that like pinches, 
your uh, the the waist belt pinches your hip flexors right like that's i'm sure you've had that happen before where you don't feel like you can take a full stride yeah yeah, yeah. You, you have you have very limited lip range of motion yeah with your because legs. that's the waist belt's too low stuff like that we're going to cover all that stuff in the prep to hunt but and that's super important right so like so like i'm, I'm like it's funny that you're talking about this and as i'm as i'm watching you talk about this it's like man where the fuck was this when I was, you know, 10 years ago <laughs> yeah, when I was, was introduced to rucking, right? It was just like, hey, the, the what they talked about was just making sure that all of the fucking straps were, that that's all they were worried about, right? When Is that all of the straps were secure so you didn't look like a fucking dangling octopus. Well, so here's the other part of that, though. Like, rucking in the military sense is all about testing your mental endurance, yeah, right? Yeah. Just and your ability to deal with pain. Yeah. So like, okay, so it's a totally different story to throw an 80 pound um, bag of bricks into an Alice pack with no, and carry that on a ruck for 12 miles with no waist belt. How often do we use waist belts? Mm. Not very, right? Because you had other things on, on your hips, you couldn't fucking use waist belts. So all of that 80 pounds now is getting transferred to your traps. Yeah. And that is how we break people. Like that's like physically, that's how we mentally break them. And then that's how we physically break them too. So that's why rucking is the way it is in the military because it's designed to impart pain and to force you to grit through it and force you to just fucking deal with it. Whereas now we don't have to do that because we have packs that we can put the majority of the weight on the waist mm-hmm. and that makes carrying an 80 pound bag feel like carrying a, a 40 pound bag in an Alice pack with no waist belt. Yeah. I feel like in terms of like conserving energy though, like I wish I was taught how to properly, Oh, for sure. Uh, properly fit a pack to me Absolutely. and then understanding, okay, Hey, when you're going up a hill, you know, Throw the load on your shoulders, right? And obviously loosen up your, your waist belt if you have one. But honestly, I never ever used a waist belt in the Marine Corps at all. It, the the strap just got tucked behind, mm-hmm. right, the frame. Yep. And then it was just there as a lower back saver mm-hmm. to cushion the fucking other... 60 fucking pounds they were pushing <laughs> on your fucking right yeah. above your ass right yeah and and uh it's funny it it it's uh it's just it's just cool to to like again it's it's cool to just see now that i'm outside and, and again it's been fucking three years since i've three or four years since i've actually you know carried a ruck on a mission but still you know i, I feel like um, there's definitely a lot less stubbornness when it comes to dealing with pain. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely. We realize we don't have to do that shit yeah. anymore. Yeah. So yeah. it kind of got like a little tangentialized there on, on the stone glacier bags, but, um, I would encourage all you guys to check those things out. Um, check out their brand. They've done a lot of really hard work over the, uh, a short amount of time and, you know, it's just been very, very cool to watch that brand develop over time. So, um, the venue that we trained at in Cody is world class. Yeah, it's first time there. That's my first. That's my first time there. Yeah. I mean, obviously driven by it a bunch of times, yeah. but had no idea of the depth of the topography deeper into those canyons. Yeah. 
and it's a pretty magical place to shoot. Like, like being up there, just going, man, this is a cool opportunity, and it's really the epitome of um, like a a field shooting, mountain shooting environment, training ground. I I think it's the closest thing that you're gonna get to. If you are a Western long range hunter that is mm-hmm. always in the back country, it's the closest thing that you're going to get to in terms of mimicking real world conditions. Agreed. 100%. And, and I'm trying to, and like I say this as being as less biased as possible, but out of all the venues that I've shot around the nation, it is literally probably my number one favorite venue to shoot at. Yeah. And the this followed up second would be Colville. Um, is it Colville? Uh, yeah, like Mark, Mark Mark Taylor's place where you shoot sniper's hide cut because, mm-hmm. you know, shooting in thick veg, loopholes and stuff like that. Very, very practical for a, a obviously, rural uh, military sniper. But in terms of, like, mountainous terrain for both uh, snipers and long-range hunters, um, Heart Mountain takes a cake in terms of yeah. just, like... And, and not only just the, the difficulty of winds and angles and positions... But just the scene, like you, the scenery in itself pays for itself, right? Mm-hmm. Especially the, the the range day, the range fees that we, we pay there uh, for our shooters. Like once you get to the top, you're like, holy shit! <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty cool place, man. So it's very special, um, and it's a it's a really technical place to shoot, which very. is which is great because I mean that is mountain shooting, um, you know, in a nutshell. It's a it's a technical. Uh, it's a technical evolution in long range shooting, and any time you get a chance to shoot in the mountains, it's a you have to have you have to get your you have to have your process dialed, or else you're going to miss a step, and missing a step means you missed something. Um, and like this venue here at Cameo, shooting this today is fucking awesome, super awesome. It's a great place, and it's one of those places that um, I don't think that. This is one of those places that you could um, always put your finger and bet on the winds doing the same thing. Yeah. One of the most interesting things that I heard today, I shouldn't say interesting, but it was just, it was pretty cool. One of our uh, our shooters, and when I say our shooters, is he's a part of the modern day rifleman community. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric, uh, he had said, because yeah. he ROed the, the match with you today, he said, it was the first time that I had to make a wind call on the fly. <laughs> right. right understanding yeah. what my gun number truly is right versus because he typically shoots like prs and nrl like two-day style matches where like you're prepping the wind while yeah while you're shooting. watching everybody and, shoot. and you're getting engaged i'm like what the wind is doing already right but like when you're there by yourself and wind is fucking cooking like well okay that's a great point it's like all right you can have all that time back. You can have all the same time that you would be using to plan at, at a quote-unquote PRS or NRL match. But it, you just have to bring it into your awareness that you have to focus on the wind and and always be looking for where it's coming from based upon where you're going to shoot. It's like, okay, I know generally I'm going to shoot across that canyon, right? I, I can't see the targets all I can see is I'm shooting that way across the canyon. That's a lot of information right there, right? So then we say, okay, if I'm shooting across that canyon, the wind's probably going to be at a three-quarter to at whatever value. 
and it's going to be moving at about 12 miles an hour. So it's pretty much being proactive the best you proactive. can in, in the staging area. Obviously, you can't, because for the interim hunter, you can't pull out glass whatsoever while you're in the staging area. No, you can't do yeah. that, but you can surely you can surely be using... You can be utilizing your senses and your understanding senses. the dynamic of like, hey, this is where the wind... And this is this goes back to my point of like when you're, when you're, when you're making a wind call, like get out of your glass, right? Because a lot of times people just so focus so much on, on like what they see in their field of view, but wind is so much more than that, right? It's understanding where it's coming from, how it's flowing through the terrain. Mm-hmm. And, and where it's hitting and where it's possibly speeding up and stuff, especially in these kind of environment where you're hitting so many different rolling hills and uh, mm-hmm. like cliff faces, right? Mm-hmm. Where like, it's like if you understand how wind flows, right, you'll have a better understanding of like, okay, you know, even though I might feel like a six here, maybe an eight here, probably when it hits that face, it's probably going to speed up to about a 12, you know yep. what I mean? So like that changes my my average and my opening wind call. Well, the other... The other thing that we have to realize is that a lot of people are trying to make those wind calls off of their position, mm-hmm. and and you, know, you got to understand that what is what is out there, it, where the bullet's going to spend the majority of its time, is different. Yeah, it's different than what you feel right now. Yeah, and and it actually could be going. It could be doing something very different, which is confusing. Yeah. Right, but that's yeah. why we talk tell people hey believe the bullet yeah like, believe the you bullet. have to believe what just happened in front of your face well what are things that will get in people's way of not believing the bullet um, what are a couple of obstacles i would say having doubt um either a having doubt in their shooting position right with the wobble mm-hmm. right how the stability of the shooting position um, and their ability to break a clean shot because, and those two are obviously intermixed, but if, if you don't break it, like if you're caught, if you're convinced that, Hey, I broke a clean shot, then it's way easier to believe the bullet than it is. If you had a question in your mind, did I break a clean shot? Oh man, was that me? Did I fuck that up? And then it makes it really hard then to believe the bullet. So... Pro tip, break clean shots all the time. <laughs> it's funny that you say that. Like, so, so, for me, I have sometimes an issue with believing that I broke a clean shot, even yeah. though I, I probably did. Yeah. Right? And so, what happens is, I just send another one, right? Without making a change. Yeah. Even though I should, right? So, like, one of the, one of the very first pieces of advice that I've ever been get, given... This was like 2015. It was I had shot a message to two snipers that were on the East Coast that had been already shooting PRS uh, pretty heavily. Uh, they were uh, second EOTG, um, pretty much urban sniper instructors, and uh, they had obviously been around in the East Coast circuit. Those guys out there, and uh, so I texted them a picture of my matchbook. It was my first match that I'd ever shot. And I was like, hey, what's mm. your piece of advice? And Jordan Davis, who had shot had shot international, was a super solid guy. Guys that have listened to this podcast on the East Coast will definitely know who Jordan Davis is. He had said, if you shoot and you miss, and you see that you miss, change something. Right. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Don't just sit. There don't just send there and and sit <laughs> yeah. and send another round. Yeah. Right. Don't do like, that. like, and he and and like the you know obviously that that's that's it's a very vague, but it's like that tells me a lot. It's like all right, well, if it was a bad shot, then a I need to clean up my shooting position. Yeah. But b if I feel like it was a clean shot, right, then I need to change either a wind hole or an elevation hole. Right. Right. But change something, and and I know I've gotten into positions, and or have taken shots where like. Boom! Fucking, I I clearly missed out the dope and I was over the top. But yeah. the very first thing that comes to my head is like, oh, you didn't break a clean shot. You were you know right. over the top. And yeah. then now it's like, okay, we'll just set another cleaner shot. Even though like, looking back, it was like that first shot was probably clean. But mm-hmm. like, you fucking dialed the wrong dope, you fucking idiot. You know what I mean? And and, and I've done that right. So it's just like. <laughs> I actually had that today. I made that mental mistake of um, not dialing, not dialing data. And the the sad part about it is, is the first, uh, you know, the first two targets in one position, I hit them both, and then I hit the, <laughs> I hit the the first target in the second position, and I forgot to dial the dope for the for the second one, and I missed underneath it both times, and it was just like, ah. Uh, <laughs> You know, it just happens. Stuff yeah. like that happens, and, yeah. and you're like, okay, well, hey, add that to the memory bank. Let's uh, let's make sure we clean that shit up, and bring it into our awareness that we actually did that. Yeah. And so it's yeah. like, all right, I won't. I'll try not to do that again next time. <laughs> but other than that, man, I think, um, you know, this by the time this this episode airs, you know, the match will already have been done. Um, and you know, we're not, there's no sharing of any information here, but other than the fact that it's a great challenging course of fire, um, makes you think there's stages that are, um, well, okay, that's kind of meatball. And then there's other stages where it's just like, oh shit, you, you, you overlooked that. Yeah, you know yeah. stuff like that, and yeah. and it's you know Scott set up a really great a really great uh, challenging course of fire. So I'm I'm excited to see everybody come through stages tomorrow. I think that's going to be super cool uh, to RO this. I mean, um, you know, ROing is in this capacity. It's I think it's even different than a normal match. Um, you get to spend a little bit more. You get to spend a little bit more time with people, I guess. With all of the competitors, with rather, all than, of rather than just the five or six, maybe seven that you shoot with, yeah. whether you're bumping them or they're shooting directly behind you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's going to be a good time. Um, I think you guys are going to have pretty stable conditions this weekend. We did not have very stable conditions today, which which is fine. I mean, it was a it was a great learning experience to shoot in all these coolies and all of these really um dramatic it's fucking dramatic terrain features out here um and it makes the wind do super screwy shit which is cool like that's part of learning and um again gained a lot of a lot more experience from shooting at this venue especially coming right from shooting <clears throat> up at up at heart mountain in cody because the 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 heart mountain venue with with regard to wind it seemed like it was there was nothing really crazy about it. It was uh, we have we, we had really mild conditions. Mild conditions, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. yeah, I know what, you guys have shot up there in pretty savage yeah, conditions. Yeah, yeah. 
but it was like I think the max wind speed we had up there was like twelve miles yeah, an hour. It yeah. wasn't bad. And, and honestly, it, it was like I'm really glad of how the conditions played out because even though like people are like oh I love shooting in windy conditions as a newer shooter, it's it's or really even hard, as a, in, from an instructor standpoint, it's hard to teach in windy conditions because shit is like obviously it's hard to fucking hear. Yep. Um, it's hard to communicate information because you're yep. fucking yelling all the time. Glass is always fucking falling over. Yep. Right? So it just, you know, especially as a group environment, it's very hard to shoot in those type of conditions. If you're by yourself, all, you're all for it, right? Like, yeah, sure. you're challenging yourself. But, like, in a group setting, especially with newer shooters, you know, like, I, I would rather the wind being no more than 12, 15 miles an hour. Yeah. Right? It's, that's manageable, and like you said, it's it's really tough to teach in those conditions because, um, A, the students are intimidated, mm-hmm. right? B, uh, not only are they intimidated, but they're, but they're uh, timid about making their adjustments and uh, timid about not wanting to miss, and so it just seems like it takes forever. Yeah. And, you know, it is what it is, and also the venue at Heart Mountain has some you know, they have the, the Heart Mountain venue has match sized targets. Yeah. Right? Competitive sized targets. Whereas if you're taking a brand new shooter out there or quote unquote a hunter, um, those targets are pretty small. Yeah. For yeah. that for that application. Yeah. So but I also there's something to be said for shooting small targets. Small targets. You have to shoot small targets. You'll you'll only remember the small like you don't ever remember the big ass targets yet. You always remember no. the smallest targets yeah. that you connect with. Absolutely. That's that's so fucking true. Not only that you just connect, but like you connect with intention, intentionally, and, yeah. and going. You know what? Yeah. I'm I I made this wing call, and I'm holding this, and I'm gonna smash that target right in the center of its face. And when that happens, it's super gratifying. But we also have to remember to like learn from it yeah. and not just move yeah. right along because that's how we forget shit. Um, there's there was a lot of that shit today. Uh, it was just very switchy. Very, um, just lots of big gnarly gusts, a lot of thermal activity. There's a lot of thermal activity today because you had some unstable air with some big puffies, some not thunderstorms, but definitely a little bit of convective activity. So the, the air mass is unstable and it was only predicted to blow, um, for about two and a half hours today from like 11 until like 132, somewhere in there. But that was not the case. Yeah. It just continued. It continued and continued and continued. And I think wind is a suit, like in those micro areas, like that micro uh, microclimate wind calling stuff, I'm fascinated by. I want to deep, uh, deep dive into that. And um, I want to learn how to paraglide. And paragliding is very, very focused on that micro weather pattern yeah. because it's so critical to your safety when you're flying. And those guys know a lot of stuff and the critical part of flying that is is the launch yeah and that altitude and that that um that level that that you're gonna launch into is the same level of air that our bullet flies yeah, through. yeah okay right our bullet's not going up five thousand feet yeah it's not yeah right so it's just it's <clears throat> in that surface level of air and i just think it's going to be really fascinating to try to uh, apply those skills and then be able to pick apart what's truly happening in the sky. I yeah. think it's going to be super cool. That's cool. That's cool. No, I, I, I'm excited for this weekend. Um, 
I decided to put all the camera. I shouldn't say that. I, that's a, that's. A You're lie. not going to. No, I am. I am. I even though I have my cameras here. I was like, you brought your GoPro. My GoPro's here. My trigger cam's here, but I'm not. There's no intention of running them. I've got enough content for the year. Uh, I just I. I don't know what my issue is like I love I love doing it. I think it's a it's a challenge in itself, right? But I know that I, I want to be competitive, and I think that's something that I de- definitely want to talk about this podcast that we've been uh, not struggling with, but I think it's important for our viewers because again, you know, one of the things that really solidify our podcast amongst everyone else's is the the mindset aspect, what we deal with ourselves as people in the industry, and 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 first and foremost before I get forget i just wanted to do man we've been we like we've been on a streak between canlan and i especially myself in terms of shooting matches like i've this is, i think it's like my fifth match in the last six weeks from hornady prc to uh nrl hunter to the wisconsin barrel maker and now this you know um we've just met i've been able to meet a bunch of supporters mm-hmm. with the modern day cyber podcast and uh you know guys taking time even though like it might feel weird for them to like hey can i get a picture <laughs> like that means a lot right it means it a lot does, that man. that Super like cool. that like hey our words getting out there um uh, and not only that like you know um I'm, I'm i've been able to make sure that i've continued to give off a persona where uh you can come up to me right mm-hmm. that's important like i i, I know uh, there are people in this industry that get to a certain point that they're just kind of standoffish and, you know, um, like you don't, you never want to go up to them because it's just right. like, it's super weird or just like, they just like they're and like, I just continue to hope to be approachable and that's just who I am. You know what I mean? Like loving guys come up to me and it's, it's super important for, for us and our brand. And, uh, I definitely appreciate all the support that we've gotten, uh, from coast to coast, you know, it, yeah, it's it, been, it, it means a lot. It's profound. It's really cool, and it's you know it just solidifies that you know we we are on the right path. Yeah. Um, with regard to the delivery and the messaging, which is which is awesome. Um, you know everybody everybody needs a little bit of outside validation. And outside also, validation. Yeah. And so you know we very much appreciate that, and um, we're incredibly grateful for you guys because we wouldn't be doing what we're doing without you guys, and. Um, so yeah, we, we really enjoy answering the questions. We really enjoy the interaction. So make sure you come and say, hey, what's up? And um, you, you know, we'll bullshit for a little while and grab a beer or something after the, at the end of the day and, and just uh, enjoy, enjoy the company. Yeah, so like if you guys run into me, the three things I'm gonna ask you is obviously what your name is, where you're from, what got you into Precision Rifle and what you do on your like what what's your actual main job right because like it's always intriguing to me for people that don't do this for a living yeah what do you do what? this for fun yeah right yeah, that that's always super cool to me because it's like fuck man i cannot get for the life of me people that are supposed to be doing this for a living to do this on the free time yeah right we just had this conversation like yep. you know what what is it that kalen does when he's not shooting, well, he skydives and he rock climbs and he spends time with his family, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, whereas like right now, even though like we're we're in theory, quote unquote, shooting for pleasure because it's a weekend match, we're technically working, mm-hmm. right? We're able to 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 meet other industry leaders out there to talk, obviously, 
uh, collaboration or, or whatever the case might be or the and then and then for us continue to uh, you know put our money where our mouth is right because we obviously um, there's a lot of things that we say mm-hmm. uh, that might trigger some fucking people uh, but at the end of the day we are never afraid to uh, say it from our fucking own mouths yeah. and then B go out there and be like alright well here I am fucking like showing you that it's fucking possible exactly right yep and and honestly like whatever people's reactions are their own business not mine if they so this is one thing that we we've talked about plenty of times <laughs> for instance if someone says something to me and I don't like it right it's no longer on them yeah in terms of like the the reaction that i that that happens right it's 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 on me of like why i react to a certain statement that they made yeah it's not it's it's not them anymore it's (laughs) me right it's me it's like it's like why is it that you said that why does it bother you why does it bother me yeah right like Mm -hmm. you know what i mean because like immediately what would normally happen if someone said like hey you're an asshole but well, fuck you too, right? That immediately, <laughs> immediately, it's like it's like you would think that like, well, that guy called me an asshole for no reason, right? <laughs> right. But then B, it's like it's like, wait, wait a second, what is it really? Let's unpack this of why I got triggered for him calling me an asshole. And and you and you probably did something that caused him to call you an asshole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So it's all. Um, you know, I'm I'm nowhere near qualified to like get deep into the weeds with this stuff, but my wife is. Um, it's literally like all we're doing is every day that we interact with people. Um, if you're unaware, you're you're like constantly projecting all of your insecurities onto people in the way that you interact with yeah. them. Um, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. That's what you're doing. That's what we're all doing, and it's like we're a bunch of ping pong balls bouncing off one another. Um, and then there's obviously way deeper stuff to talk about, um, besides that, but, um, it's interesting. And then once you become aware of it and you're like, huh, I actually no shit. Yeah, I do that. Holy. Okay. Well, let's start looking at that in a different way. (laughs) And now we start looking at, at the way we interact with people in a different way. I feel like the more that I've been able to obviously talk with you and, uh, Cassandra like it, it helps me again it, just, it helps me because I, I feel like I'm learning just as much as our listeners are learning about our my own self you know uh, awareness right mm-hmm. in terms of how I navigate this world and this meat suit um, uh, but ultimately like I, it's funny I was having a conversation with the, this, uh, my lady friend about about this um, about the the amount of programming that happens in our military service, right? Of the bravado and when the the alpha male mentality that we're I don't know if it's programming or brainwashing. I don't know if those are the correct words, but it's just like it's just like I did that for so long, you know that so, not like I don't care about it anymore, but it's just like I don't want to. It's not who I am anymore. Well, it's okay to move on from a different yeah, yeah, chapter. Yeah, right? yeah, it's, yeah. it's completely okay yeah. to turn the page and move from one chapter to the next. But there's still something like like hidden in the like back right corner, right, of my ego mm-hmm. that still identifies with it. Mm-hmm. Even though I, I, I don't want to anymore, mm-hmm. right, 
but there's still like a little thing that sometimes if I see something or I hear something, it like the triggers like, but like that's who I was at one point in my life. You know what I mean? And that's who I was supposed to be. Um, but uh, no, I, I think uh, it it's it's been a it's been a, it's it's been an interesting journey. Um, it's been an interesting journey in terms of uh, where I started. Uh, as a civilian in the, the, the art of long range shooting and now uh, obviously a continuous student but a, um, a communicator of information not only on the uh, long range shooting aspect like as much as I love uh, talking about and, and being able to click with other people with how to communicate information to make them understand long range shooting mm-hmm. but more importantly I'd say that the the uh, mindfulness aspect. I think that's where that leadership side of like what I miss about the Marine Corps, being able to mentor and lead Marines. You know, I, I feel like we're able to do it through our podcasts. Yeah, well, you we, know, we can mentor. We can mentor and lead lead people that um, that are interested in pursuing the same level of connection that yeah. uh, that we are. Yeah. And so, you know, that's how that's how we can continue to to pass that on and continue to live that that uh that part of our own selves that we find uh, to be most gratifying you just do it in a different way you're doing the same thing you're just doing it in a different way with a different demographic of people and they're both super appreciative so it's a win-win it's awesome There's still a lot of unpacking left to do. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm a sure we're, I'm, thing. we're always we're it's always a, there's always things that we're unpacking. It's a constant thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I love that word too. It's just like, uh-huh. and I've been yeah. using I've been using it a lot lately. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, I, I, you see, like, and I feel like you can only have those conversations with people that have are aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's, um, exactly, you'll be able to pick them out, you'll be able yeah. to figure it out, yeah. and, and or have the conversation, or somebody's going to have a conversation with you, and you're going to be like, oh, oh, okay, well, that that, that person thinks the same way, or... Um, and and they, that's where the, the vulnerability comes out, and the layers, and the, or the armor starts to come off, right, because, going back to what my statement earlier about you know, the Marine Corps, like the Marine Corps, what they did was create a, a shield of armor, right, mm-hmm. for me in terms of like having this persona. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is what I what This is what most people are supposed to be thinking of me as a former Marine Corps scout sniper, especially as an instructor, mm-hmm. right? But that's like if you get to know who Phil Vallejo is, that's not, that's not remotely who he is. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, and so, like, people that are aware, I'm able to essentially. Uh, remove that armor and be like, hey man, like I'm 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 ju- I'm just as normal as you. I put on my fucking pants every day. I have my fucking real world problems. I pay my fucking bills, right? Yeah. I struggle with balance with my with my family life, right? Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you know, one of the things that continue to, you know, let let me put one foot in front of the other is um, the fact that you know, a I love what I do. Um, it allows me to provide for my family and uh you know uh like when it comes to connecting with the rifle one of the best feelings in the world is to be able to apply everything that i can at that point based off my experience and connect with the target at distance 
right? That's my fucking zero point, Mm -hmm. you know? And for me, right, being able to uh, see that that joy or that other spark of information to other shooters, I know that that ultimately is going to increase their either home or professional life. You know what I mean? Because, Mm -hmm. like, that is the ultimate goal with what we do as long-range shooters. Mm-hmm. Agreed, man. Yeah, everybody's got their own. Everybody's got their own, uh, you know, connection. Like why they do what they do yeah. with different sports and different activities. And I think it's cool that we get a chance to, you know, uh, help people along on their path and their journey to figure out like what it is that they want to spend their time doing to help develop themselves personally. Cause that's, I think really what it is. It's like a, it's a personal development. You know, you want to do well, you want to, um, you want to say, Hey man, I'm going to go shoot. I'm going to go hit those four targets. And like in your brain, you expect that you're going to hit those four targets. And if we don't hit those four targets, then, then we're like super hard on ourselves. But I mean, honestly, you don't have to. You just have to look at it as learning experience, yeah. and and, a, and a, how am I, how do I want to spend my time? Yeah. Like right, yeah, like right now, I want to spend my time doing this activity, which is shooting and yeah. connecting with other shooters and learning things about shooting. I already learned a ton of stuff today, tons of stuff, and it's, it was awesome. So, it boils down to how you want to spend your time. And what you're getting out of the time that you're spending doing that activity. I'm glad you brought about that up about about today and, and like what you how you wanted to spend your time because I, one thing I wanted to ask you was your uh, what you expected about this match compared to what we did in Utah, and obviously we've talked about um, how you're very unhappy with your performance in Utah, right? Because of your um, expectations for the um, style of match that we that we're shooting, yeah, right, compared to what you, you what you've done, similar, right, but yeah. competition dynamics completely not completely different, but a little different style, yeah, in terms of uh, stage design and match setup and stuff like that. Um, so, what you took from the NRL Hunter Utah in terms of lessons learned there and how you applied it, and what your game plan was going into this match here. Well, um, f- first off, the there were some things like U- Utah had some pretty had some pretty wide spreads in their left and right lateral limits, which covered a tremendous amount of ground, um, and it was very difficult to like manage your time searching for targets and and say okay well well I'm trying to find one target in this t- you know. 10 foot wide uh, left and right letter limit that could potentially be out as far as 800 yards away, right? And I got to shoot that target from four positions. So it's like, okay, it's fine. Like growing pains are a thing and it's, and it's going to get ironed out. I've got no doubts about that. I personally think that this is going to be the future yeah. of precision shooting, uh, precision rifle shooting for sure. Um, it's, there's so much more potential to grow the uh, to grow this uh, shooting discipline through this avenue and not the race gun series. I, I truly believe that, man. Um, but the difference is 
The differences between this venue in Utah, um, this venue here for sure is um, is is championship quality, right? It's it's uh, and the and the course of fire is championship quality. So I think people that are people that are going to shoot really really well are are going to shoot really well on this course of fire, but at the same time it's challenging. Like it's really really challenging. So it's a great place to hold uh, the championship because of the, uh, because of the size and the I mean it's super grand right it's yeah. just like you look at these bluffs and you're like holy shit this is some big country um, and it's a really cool place to shoot but um, and the fact that you know this is Scott's vision right this is his vision so therefore he's going to be able to impart his vision into the design mm -hmm. of how he wants us to roll and I think he did a fantastic job. I do. Like, it's really cool. Um, there's plenty of hard stages, and there's plenty of, oh, okay, cool. That's a, Those are some pretty decent-sized, generous targets to, um, holy shit, wow, that was that was something right there. I see what you did, and I, and I appreciate that type thing. So um, I think you're going to have a friggin' blast over the next couple of days. But the differences between, you know, Utah... And here, um, they're all animal targets. There weren't any other mixed... I mean, there were mixed targets in there because Cameo here shoots at different different uh, target arrays. They have their existing target arrays because nobody wants to go up and down these hills to pick, you know, move targets any, any more often than they have to. And um, all of the targets here um, were put in by Scott. Like, they were put in by him and his crew, um, and they haven't been shot at all, like, other than proofing the course of fire. So, um, and you knew, like, if you saw, like, a, a hexagon MGM hanging target, you're like, clearly that's not the fucking target I'm supposed yeah, to shoot, yeah. right? So um, it, it eliminated a lot of the confusion that some people experienced in Utah just because there's more targets in there and... You know, I get it. It's not a big, it's, it's growing pains. You're trying to figure out, Hey man, I want to do one of these events. Um, and I think my venue is going to work and, um, without upsetting the existing setup of the venue, because you and I both know how much work that involves. Yeah. It is a tremendous amount of work, yeah. but I also believe that in order for, in order for this type of series to be competitive, every single match has to be fresh. Yeah, every every single match has to be blind. Yeah, 100% right? blind. Like, you, you cannot you reuse... Can't reuse anything. A, ...a stage that you potentially used last year or a previous match, right, with the same potential target array, right? Yep. Because can't do it. At the end of the day, you're, you're adding on to the home field advantage, right, right. For, for competitors that... Maybe that's their home range, right? They know the wind flow, they know everything, and it's like, oh well, I've kind of seen this target array before. Like, I kind of know what I'm looking for. You yep. know what I mean? And know exactly where to look. Even though if you've shot it once or twice, like, you're gonna figure it the fuck out. Yeah, and there's like having shot Steel Safari several times. There is an advantage to having shot that match before. Now I will say that you will shoot from the same positions like meaning the same paint spot on the rock year after year, but every time the targets will be in a different, in a position. different location. Yeah. yeah. Every time. And so, um, I like that, that that needs to happen. That needs to be there. 
Um, but it be, especially if this is going to be like a a series that's um, that obviously has a championship at the end of the series, like it really has to be super fair, um, and it has to be uh, by being fair, being completely blind to everyone. Mm. So that's cool, and it's gonna it's gonna continue to grow. I really do believe that um, uh, that anybody that's interested in hosting this kind of match. You really gotta shoot a bunch of field matches first. You, you, well, you have a. You have to shoot an interall hunter. Yeah, you, you gotta have, shoot. You, an you have to have the, sure. you, you have to shoot the style of match. Yep. You know, and 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 that's one thing. Like I told you about before this week, we came out here. Like one thing that I love about Scott's matches is that they're no bullshit, mm-hmm. right? Like, and like because we all kind of are, say it's cut from the same cloth. To understand that the real world application of what this sport provides. Right, we have a very practical approach to how we we're, shoot. We're getting back to validating skills. Yes, right. Yes. We're getting back to yes. in a practical yeah. manner. Yeah. Um, and even then, like I'll, I'll I'll say for certain, like some of the guns that I saw out there today is just like, man, that's just that's just an, another version of a race gun, right? Yeah, you've you you've you've just happened to make weight, or you took something. Right. And swapped it with something else in order to make weight. Right, exactly. And you know, and that's one of the reasons that I'm that I'm shooting in the light class because that's literally the rifle, the rifle that I'm shooting is going to be the rifle that I'm going to take hunting on August fifteenth when bear season opens. So it's funny that you say that. So like right now, the current divisions are factory, open light, and open heavy. And um, factory meaning that the the rifle is. In its factory setting, you cannot do any alterations at mounting schools or whatever, but you can use existing mounting holes to screw in certain arca plates or whatever, but sure. you can't additionally drill holes, right? Sure. Uh, and it has to make 12 pounds. That's factory. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, open light is 12 pounds and under, mm-hmm. and then open heavy is 16 pounds and under. Yeah. Now, there was, a, there was a discussion earlier that I was a part of that I was just kind of eavesdropping and putting my two cents into terms of like you know how to make obviously the 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 classifications more not stricter but just more realistic right for the for keeping the average hunter in mind mm-hmm. right of there's a big gap between 10 to 12 pounds huge there's gap. not a big gap between 12 to 16 pounds in terms of driving a rifle nope right so so almost making adjustments to the classes Right, you you track what I'm putting down. Yeah, what do you what, so, yeah. what do you what do you feel about that? So, if I'm get if I'm picking up what you're putting down, you're saying that you're saying that the jump from twelve to sixteen pounds is not significant. Not significant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm, but, I'm but in the same camp. But there's a there's a jump from ten to twelve pounds. Like meaning sure. meaning there's a like open light should start at max twelve pounds, ten pounds. Including bipods. Yeah, I mean, uh, there are... The, uh, and then anything over 10, lower than 16, would be an open heavy. Because I feel like... I don't feel like there's an advantage between a 16-pound rifle and a 12, the 12-pound 12 rifle that I'm shooting now, other than the, maybe the use of sky pods. Honestly, I think the reason... Well, I, I agree with you. I agree with you on that 100%. But I think the reason for that was um, just because of the prevalence of carbon fiber barrels. 
because if you don't have the money to you, like you have to be able to to put a steel barrel on a rifle so not everybody can afford a, a $940 $960 carbon fiber wrap barrel right so we, we, you just have to make the heavy class because like if I were to have a steel barrel even on that even on that rifle a you know a 24 inch steel barrel even a a, a, a a palma contour right it's going to be heavy it's going to be getting close to that 14 15 pound mark you know but would you be hunting with that i i have but i wouldn't i mean right. you know what i'm saying I what, 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 what but, is the what is the average hunter that the sport is supposed to be attracting to so because like right now what I, what i see again just calling a spade a spade what i see are competitive shooters that have what they have granted they have what they have right and people are like hey shoot this because it's fun but they have what they have and all they're doing is maybe pulling their weights off and swapping their bipods out sure great that's that's i agree with that 100 percent because now everybody hunts quote-unquote hunts in a different way Mm. right so this is where we're this is where we start talking about like we're just we're just we're just projecting uh, uh, yeah yeah, we're constantly projecting what we think people should do like exactly like this is my narrative and you should follow this Yeah, yeah right but um when it comes to hunting like so i'm i'm a backpack backcountry hunter i like a there's a dude that could be truck hunting you know in eastern wyoming murdering pronghorn and he doesn't care if he's got a 16 pound gun yeah because he's gonna hop out of his truck, he might hike a few hundred yards to get into a shooting position and, and whack a goat. Yeah. So it's a total, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. then there's another dude that could be on the East Coast that you know he's about to go into a thicket yeah. and he's gonna be carrying a super handy short barreled yeah. rifle that, that he can expect an engagement max 150 yards. But I feel like these are still specific types, right? Sure. I, I guess my question is what based off of what we've seen in our classes and what we see online what do you feel like majority of long range shooters or hunters are working with weight class wise so I think this particular series is a, is no a, not a series I'm just thinking I'm just thinking I'm just that the, the average hunter that we see come through our courses that we see oh. online what are they typically running around with? Um, they're running around with like Brownie X bolts, like the people that come to our hunter classes, like Brownie X bolts, um, old school Remington seven hundreds, uh, Weatherbees, um, with sling studs. Yeah, and, and yeah. maybe maybe old school stuff, man. Bipods that are non canting. Maybe right? maybe bipods. We and we talked about we're gonna do a pot a, for everyone that's the sitting. We're gonna do a podcast and modernizing your hunting rifle. That's important. But it, if we keep those guys in mind, the and I would say those I would say that they make up probably about eighty percent of the hunting community. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. So how do we track that eighty percent? I, that's a good, that's a great question and the the I think the other the other issue with this is that um, with this being uh, you got to be careful with the perception right you got to be careful with the perception um, because if we want people to come in maybe there needs to be another class right when it's called production 
um, even a modern a modern production gun. So like, let's just say somebody's going to be like, you know what, man, I want to compete in this, and I want to compete in production. They're going to find the highest level right of production rifle that they possibly can find that will not hamper their ability to shoot well. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Right. Whereas the guy that's like, hey man, I think I might want to get better at this, and and like I don't know if my rifle's gonna cut it. Yeah. Because look at all of this shit over here. Exactly. Look at what everybody's using. I don't have any of that. Yeah. I'm not gonna be. Yeah. I'm gonna show my ass. Yeah. So, there needs to be in this type of series of like there. I do believe that there needs to be like another, um, another part of that. And factory. Yeah. I don't think factory is enough because. Granted, it is a competition, right? And people that come to these things are here with a competitive spirit. Yeah. Right? Would you agree? I agree. Yeah. 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 So not many people I think that I think people that are gonna use a match as a training event are gonna do it at a local or a club level. I, I think that's what I think ultimately that's that at least that's always my message, right? It's like, hey, shoot a match because it's gonna allow you to get the best kind of training value you'll ever get, right? As long as you you come with that mindset, right? Right. If you come to the mindset of trying to be competitive, dude, I hope you've been doing your homework and that you just show up because you've been fucking dry firing like Alice and Zane for the last three years, you know, and like no one knows that you're coming, mm-hmm. right? And then like everyone else is for a rude awakening. But like if you're like, oh, you know, I can I can show up with bring what I got and fucking, you know, it's like, dude. And hit some targets. Yeah. Like, dude, like. You're in for a rude awakening because there are some fucking really good motherfuckers out there. Yep. Right? And not that saying that that guy's not probably a good shooter, but it's like, they're, yeah, you, you just you just don't know what you're getting yourself into until you actually go out there and do it. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a great learning experience. And like a lot of people here, uh, I think Scott was mentioned today, he, he was estimating like, 40%, 40% of the shooters that we're seeing coming to the NRL Hunter Series are new to competition entirely. That's awesome. It's a good number. Right, so that's super rad. So that's 40 out of the 100. So I think that we have like 105 competitors that are actually shooting the two days. So like 40, 40 of them, right? This is the this is new, which I've seen, right? I've seen, I've seen, I've had guys, hunters come up to me and say, hey, like, I started shooting this because I saw you start doing it and posting about it and I'm just a hunter by trade and I knew right. that doing this is going to make me a better hunter yeah yeah absolutely man and that like even with the Stone Glacier guys last uh, yeah. you yeah. know the beginning of the week um, they're animals right they're, those dudes are animals they, they live to hunt and it, if there's any way that they can get that nut that that next, edge, yeah, that next edge. That next edge to be a more effective apex predator, then yep, they're gonna do it, and they're gonna pay really close attention, and they're gonna sink their teeth into it and really apply those skills. One of the things that one of them said that was really interesting was that you know uh, he he admitted it says so like honestly with everything that we do as hunters. Uh, prep, right? Prepping, scouting, all that stuff. Oh yeah, that was Kurt said that. Yeah. Uh, the one percent of what you do on a hunt ultimately takes a backseat, right? But 
it is ultimately why you're successful or unsuccessful. Remember that quote that I, that I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, same thing in hunting. Becomes one hundred percent your purpose. Exactly, and it's hunting is the same yeah, fucking way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, can't put it together. You can't put it together. Then all of that work and yeah. all of that effort is all for naught. For nothing. Yeah. Nothing. And you know you can sit there and fucking blame Coriolis and spin drift why you fucking miss, but ultimately you miss because you miss because you didn't train. Yep. Yep. Indeed. It's and a, you didn't put yourself out there. Yeah. Yeah. To figure it out. I agree. So Dude, I'm pumped for you tomorrow, man. It's gonna I'm be excited. It's gonna be a yeah. good day of shooting. Yeah. This is good. This is good. Um, again, guys, uh, we'll, we'll wrap this up. We've got some stuff coming down ahead of you. Check out uh, check out the uh, Prep to Hunt series that Kaylin's going to be dropping. We've got our subscription service already seven months deep. This is our seventh month going into uh, content. So uh, if you've been on the fence for our uh, subscription service, we've got close to at least three hours three to four hours because everything lists. So we've got like four hours of content every month. So we've got oh, every six. Month, yeah. So we've got already 24 hours in the vault of fucking content. Whether it's it be nuts. Uh, technical class, uh, Headspace Hub, talking about mental headspace, um, and uh, then live Q&As. Uh, and then as well as a, uh, so live Q&A and a um, live fire drill or course of fire that we walk you through. Uh, so that's about four hours of content every month. Um, that we have in the vault that you have immediate access to once you become a sub- subscriber. And then uh, we've got, we did a new naming convention and we stood up some new courses yep. that we have uh, kind of um, sneak peeked on the network, right? So if you haven't checked out the uh, Modern Day Rifleman Network uh, or the Mighty Network, check out uh, www.moderndayrifleman.com. It's free to join. And you have uh, some pretty cool access to stuff. Oh, uh, we also set up the swap meet. Yeah, the right? swap meet, guys. Which is, uh, you know, uh, allows you to sell your uh, used gear. No, ri- no rifle sales, obviously. Yeah, no no rifle certificates. Sales. No it's certificates. It's literally used gear that you want to pass on to uh, an upcoming shooter. Indeed. Yep. It's a. It's it's going to grow. It's just starting. There's there's a few people posting posting stuff for sale on there. Um, come check it out. Post some stuff up for sale. We've got about we've got fourteen hundred members, and all of those members are obviously people that are interested in doing what we do. So you got a different audience and a different uh, method of communicating with that audience. So come check out the swap meet, uh, prep the hunt series. Like Phil said, we're going to be dropping that uh, mid August, getting you guys ready for our, for the hunting season. It's going to be a vlog series of me getting myself and my gear um, and my, uh, my, my headspace and physical fitness ready to go hunt this year. So uh, it's going to be a really rad program. There's going to be a free vlog series as well as a paid portion that's going to be completely reasonable. I think we're going to price it about 100 bucks, and it's going to be literally a steal uh, in terms of the amount of information you're going to get. And we also have Mr. Cody Carroll's Wilderness Land Navigation course that's about to drop. I went through the whole course, guys, um, listened to the whole thing, and man, I'm going to put my kid through this this summer. That's going to be one of his summer school projects because Cody freaking killed it, man. He's a great teacher. It's a really well-done class, and for anybody that's kind of like 
man, I want to learn more about navigation. This is where it is, man. He did a fantastic job. It's really well laid out, easy to follow. And he's got a comprehensive workbook in there that's going to give you, um, I think like it's like 200 problems, 200 land nav problems, like grids, azimuths, resections, intersections, like terrain features, all of the stuff, right? So you, going through that workbook is worth the cost of the course alone, yeah, man. Yeah. Um, so you're going to get a ton out of it. And um, yeah, man, it's getting to be hunting season. So you got a, you lucky son of a bitch, you got a fucking Wyoming, yeah, Wyoming bull tag. Bull tag. That's badass. Luke, That's my buddy Luke in Washington, guide right, he drew, um, he drew an archery bull archery tag. Bull tag. Uh, Scott told me today that he drew an archery bull tag in Oregon. Um, we got invited to go back to the Tetons to go uh, back to the goat call. I've got bear and high country buck hunt coming up. Man, it's gonna get busy crazy fast, but it's all good stuff. And, and uh, this is all just a part of your prep to hunt. You know what I mean? This, yep. this final final shoot. I, I know you always stay ready. You know to to. Uh, to, to shoot uh, for hunting season this is why why you train but you know for again the the average hunter out there that's looking for his ability to just be confident with his rifle extend his range and stuff mm-hmm. like that this is definitely you know especially compared to the cost of our courses uh, this would be a great yeah. great uh, introduction but then obviously if they want to then learn how to be competitive whether you shoot a bunch of matches or you, you come get formal training. So, but hey guys, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we appreciate, uh, sorry for the delay and we will see you guys in the next podcast. You guys know the drill. Keep your face on the gun. Later.